2: Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for 4 minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Thursday, May 5th, 2022. Happy Cinco Day, Drinko! This is episode number 273. I'm Susan Sorries, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis' Favorite Grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 30,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. We love our audience. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you. So please leave us a review. Today we're talking about the FDA cracking down on Delta 8. LA's illicit market is emblematic. A Kansas sheriff hating on Delta 8. What could the leaked SCOTUS abortion ruling mean to legalization? Drastic water measures for the Colorado River. Switzerland to launch a very controlled study on adult use cannabis sales. And many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up on the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the don. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. Rico, I can't wait for your headline. Let's hear it.
3: All right. So mine's coming out of uh, MyNewsLA.com, LA County, (coughs) LA City Council members seeking to implement emblem uh, program for cannabis stores. As we all know at this point, an overwhelming majority of cannabis sales in California still occur in the illicit market, with billions of retail dollars being missed out on by municipalities who've decided to actively participate on on legal retail side. Authorities are scrambling to develop new methods to compete. This is why yesterday, L.A. County, uh, LA City Council members Curran Price and Paul Koretz uh, co-introduced the County of Los Angeles's emblem program for authorized cannabis stores that's a mouthful and while broad data trends have con- uh, have confirmed any government acronym and access of three letters will ultimately fail and waste your hard earned tax dollars pricing Correct seem confident that clay packs yes clay packs will help protect consumers from untested and unregulated pre- unregulated products at unlicensed businesses originally on L- an LA county program the idea is to better visibly identify legal shops storefront and delivery operators would apply for an emblem get inspected by county officials and upon implementation Place the placard on site visible to everyone inside and out. Consumers have a difficult time discerning legal and illegal businesses by appearance and maybe unknowingly doing business with unlicensed operators, many of which sell unregulated products, said Councilman Correts. Uh, Products that are tainted, contaminated, or mislabeled and could cause serious illness if consumed. I agree with the second half of the statement, but not the first, because I think it's bullshit at this point. Anybody saying that they don't know they're walking into a trap shop, you know what it is. Uh, Councilman Price added, establishing an emblem program will allow patrons to make informed choices uh, where they want to shop and spend their hard-earned money. This uh, initiative will provide a comfort level uh, there at a business that is properly regulated and inspected by the county. If implemented, public health officials inspect a location and ensure it's in compliance with applicable public health laws and regulations. L.A. County Department of Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer uh, commended the two for considering to have the, the, the county's largest city join the uh, program, saying that, it would help ensure the safety of employees and consumers. Acting DCR Executive Director Michelle Garakian uh, was bullish on the idea as well, saying we welcome our partnership with the L.A. County Department of Public Health. Our collective aim is to partner and protect the the health of consumers. If the motion is passed, the L.A. uh, City attorney will be instructed to draft an ordinance implementing the county program in the city for launch later this year. Personally, I think it's funny L.A. City, now five years into the game, is looking for guidance from L.A. County, who's the New Jacks. Um, Also, my concern here is with law enforcement. In the spirit of Cinco de Mayo, black and brown communities in L.A. are experiencing a moment, if you will, with the cops. With all that's been going down with L.A. County Sheriff Villanueva and his gang of badged white supremacists, um, are they the ones on the hook for enforcing Placard versus non-placard shops uh, in L.A. County or in, in the city now, too. For anyone who's, who's wondering what the fuck I'm talking about, a March investigation revealed there's at least 18 active white supremacist gangs identified within the L.A. County Sheriff's Department tied to the deaths of at least 19 people, all being men of color. And um, there's a database of names of deputies reportedly involved in these gangs uh, made available online, um, leading the sheriff's recent attempts to publicly target and intimidate L.A. Times journalists. Um, the sheriff's department has jurisdiction over LAPD, uh, so this will give them jurisdiction to move in on illicit operators. So I'm looking forward to hearing uh, everyone's thoughts on this because, yeah, the trappers are a problem, but what's going on with the LA Sheriff's Department is even bigger problem. Is Rico Lemieux, Dobus dad in the streets, for state of cannabis news? Are
0: what say you, news team? <laughs> well, Rico, I think I think it's really important to note that this is for Los Angeles because LA County has a complete ban on cannabis businesses. So this would only be for LA City, um, uh, uh, incorporated Los Angeles, basically.
2: So where do we where do we buy these fake emblems?
0: Well, no, I. Right, they're going to be available on Amazon tomorrow. No, I don't yeah. think. I don't think so. I think. I think that the trappers are going to are going to market this in a way to show people n- where not to shop because where it's being grossly overtaxed.
3: It's a very interesting uh, spin there,
4: Susan. You need the sound effect for like whenever there's a government boondoggle or something. Money, 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 money. You know, something like that because that's what this shit is all. I about. I think
2: I just got one. Thank you. Oh, that's
4: perfect. <laughs> I mean, who's gonna who's gonna be able who's gonna
3: be enforcing this shit? You know, no, um,
0: no, no I don't see anyone enforcing it um, at, at all. I think this is just uh, Los Angeles is gonna try to do a public spin <laughs> on why they think that this this is a good idea to help the general public be able to identify legal shops. That's pretty wasn't, much it. There's no other reason. for it. Wasn't
5: that what the QR
2: code was for already?
0: I, th- <laughs> right. I, I mean, no one uses QR codes. Let's keep it real. <laughs>
5: <laughs> they're
2: supposed to. I love QR codes. I'm yes, gonna put they
6: do, Jason.
2: Yeah, they do now, Jason. It's it's hot. I'm gonna put them on our t shirts.
0: No one Communist no QR one uses dumbass QR codes. I use they, it
2: as my business card. Yes, they do.
0: <laughs> okay. Could be in a dinosaur, Jason. No one uses dumbass QR codes, bro. And all restaurants that use QR codes <laughs> as their menus, I stop eating at them because they're fucking horrible.
2: Oh, my God. Jason, (laughs) smoke a joint. So what you're saying is you don't use QR codes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Technology is useful, uh, but we need to keep smoking the news.
3: Let's do it. Coming up next, the QR code hating, mint coat wearing, private jet hopping, longest running retailer in the game. The ivory to my ebony, Mr. Jason Beck, what you got for us in the news today, man? Happy Cinco de Drinco.
0: Oh, yeah. Happy Cinco de Drinco, everybody. I hope everyone turns up and drinks lots of tequila. But nonetheless, my story is a funny tale where a Kansas sheriff's office is raiding shops that sell THC and seizing the products. Law enforcement officers are carrying out raids in Topeka on shops selling cannabis products. The Swinoli County Sheriff's Office won't answer questions about how many stores it is raided and on what dates and or how much it sees. Cannabis advocacy groups in Topeka say officers seized goods from several sellers on April 20th, a date celebrated by cannabis enthusiasts, and on April 28th, and continued their campaign over the past few days. This ongoing prosecution of Kansas citizens, retailers, distributors, and ancillary businesses, owners, is detrimental to our state and its future, and it must end, several groups said in a collective statement. The groups, including Kansas for Hemp, the Kansas Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, and the Kansas Cannabis Coalition urged hundreds of of shops across Kansas that sell products containing THC to ensure their goods are legal and keep detailed documentation of their origin to get themselves or to protect themselves against prosecution. In December, Attorney General Derek Schmidt concluded that these rules apply to Delta 8 products to Delta 8 really only sells well in states like Kansas, where full-blown adult use cannabis remains legal. It is a molecular variation of a standard of THC with similar psychosis effects, which is what basically what we call weed light. The Swahili County Sheriff's Office says it found stores selling illegal goods, some with standard THC and some with molecular variations. It won't answer questions about how it determined or will determine which of the products broke the state law um, and to be legal, the products m- must contain less than 0.3 THC. Variations and substances <clears throat> must come from industrial hemp products and earlier this year, the Ellis County District Attorney told shops selling Delta 8 in Hayes, that they would face prosecution if they handed the products over to, or excuse me, they would not face prosecution if they handed the products over to police voluntarily. That county also successfully prosecuted what may be the first criminal cases in cannabis that involved Delta 8. Prosecutors relied on manufactured documentation that indicated the products contained more than .3 Delta uh, THC. In the most recent annual survey of Kansas public opinion, Fort Hayes State University found Excuse me, 70% of the respondents favored legalizing c- cannabis so the state can tax it. Well, I'll tell you what, the raids are going to continue because this is fucking Kansas. It's a fucking tornado. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour.
2: Wasn't there a tornado yesterday?
0: It's a
3: tornado every day somewhere in the world.
2: I mean, Sleeping. there, right there. Yeah. Well, good luck. Uh, good luck scooping all the Delta 8 shops up, Sheriff. I mean this may not be a popular opinion but at least they're trying
5: <laughs> you know I'm not a huge fan of the unregulated product
2: yeah no but I don't think anybody is I think that there's got to be a way to get the industry to put more money into educating the consumers it, the cons- it, that's where it's all at right we've got to educate this, the consumers but um
3: and open th- up and, and open up licensing to more people yeah. being able to participate, like lowering the barrier of entry so more people can get in and um, let the market do its thing and let these motherfuckers and that from- And
2: <laughs> that, comes, that comes from consumer demand, too.
0: Yep. Hold on. Hold on. We're talking about fucking Kansas here, guys. How about they pass a program that actually allows people access to cannabis in the first place instead of these fucking bullshit fucking Delta A products?
3: Agreed. That's, I mean, we're saying the same thing, Jason. You know, um, yeah, they need to open it up and uh, they
0: need to create some type of format to allow for these businesses. They can't just open it up. I mean, otherwise, you're going to have another fucking Oklahoma on our hands.
2: Nobody wants that. Laura, you were going to say something. nothing I'm not important. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Let's
0: keep it moving, Jason. Sorry. Oh, yeah. I hope you guys are all ready for this. Coming up next to the stage, we have Laura DeCaro. This badass canna mom is the co-founder of the International Cannabis Bar Association, current chair of the Bar Association of San Francisco Cannabis Law Section, founder of San Francisco Equity Applicant Pro Bono Legal Project, and the organic source for the silkiest, smoothest vocal cords in the Western Hemisphere. Truly amazing. What do you have for us this morning, Laura?
5: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Thanks for that awesome intro. Um, I think we skipped Dr. Tally Ram, but I'll I'll go ahead and take this just to keep things moving. And because this kind of segues on what uh, the last two articles have been about. So this, the FDA, right, has long warned the public about the dangers of new Delta-8 products, but this week was the very first time that it actually took action to the manufacturers. I'm actually just covering a presser from the FDA. FDA issues warning letters to companies Ill- illegally selling CBD and delta-8 THC products. Now, this was published yesterday. Apparently, on May 4th, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration issued several warning letters. Its first set of such letters to companies selling products labeled as containing delta-8. Um, the FDA received reports of adverse fed. Uh, I'm sorry, events. Experienced by patients who have consumed these products, they write. They received these reports allegedly from consumers, healthcare professionals, and law enforcement. The presser states that, quote, there are no FDA-approved drugs containing (laughs) Delta-8. Any Delta-8 THC product claiming to diagnose, cure, mitigate, treat, or prevent a disease is considered an unapproved new drug, it goes on. So apparently they sent them to five different companies, and the warning letters address the illegal marketing of unapproved D8 products, um, misbranding, Uh, let's see, what else, the addition of uh, THC to foods, and they address some CBD products. So some of these letters, I read a few of them, they're really, really long. They are also noting that, to date, no CBD products have met FDA requirements to be legally marketed for non-prescription use, that they're not considered grass, and that they are, quote, unquote, new drugs that require approved applications. They state the violations related to FDA-regulated products, including the marketing, um, to treat certain medical conditions in humans and animals, promoting... CBD products as dietary supplements, and adding CBD to human and animal foods are unapproved uses. Um, you know, the FDA sends these letters out every now and again, and they've requested written responses from the companies within 15 working days stating how they're going to address the violations or if maybe the FDA somehow uh, misconstruing its own laws, <laughs> and these are not actual violations, and they say that failure to promptly address the violations may result in legal action including product seizure and or injunction but you know that's not something that we've actually ever seen so i'm just curious if anybody thinks anything might come out of this i thought it was interesting that they're finally taking action on da products it's my opinion that the horse is out of the barn uh, a lot like you know cannabis was back in the day but um, I'd, I'd love to hear what my fellow correspondents and anyone in the audience has to uh, say about that. My name is Laura DeCaro, reporting for the State of Cannabis
6: News Hour.
2: Laura, do we know the process for seizing the materials, the products? You um, come I, in
0: and you just take it.
2: Yeah, they do. They,
5: if you don't respond to the letter, they can just walk on and, and, and take it. The company, the letters went to um, ATLRX. Biomed Plus, Delta Eight, hemp Kingdom Harvest, and M Six Labs. If anybody knows any of those folks, they look to be mostly in the South. But yeah, they can walk in and take it. They just don't.
3: <laughs> I mean, my problem with my, my problem with, with shit like this is you're just creating more operators in the trap. Like people who have already been using these uh, products. And um, have uh, found uh, various levels of success. They're going to find ways to get it, and people are going to find ways to to sell illegal product to them, whether it has those substances in them or not. They're just going to label it differently.
5: Yeah, I mean, we pushed the boundaries right back in the day. Yeah. you know, I mean, I'm not necessarily opposed to that. It's just that you know a lot of these products aren't aren't tested. They're not safe. Um, I just wonder if there's any enforcement action that might actually take place one of these days.
0: Well, if they're in Kansas, you know they will.
5: Yeah, we've been asking for it in California. And right. We don't get it.
0: California's not going to do anything because all of our DAs don't prosecute crime.
5: Amen. Oh.
7: Recall, Gaskin.
3: Yeah, and all of our um, our sheriffs, are, uh, they have white supremacist tattoos. So, <laughs> big shout out to L.A. <laughs> County Sheriff Department. Up next, a real industry OG with a proven uh, track record, representing the people with the utmost compassion. Coming to the stage is the founder of MediCan and co-founder of CESC, the nonprofit cannabis research organization, the man himself, Dr. Jean Talleyrand. What you got for us today, Dr. Jean?
8: Thanks, Rico. Uh, Good morning. Good afternoon, everyone. So my headline today is an op-ed piece by Jeff Brown out of Syracuse, New York. Mr. Brown's a Cannabis Dispensary Pharmacists in Buffalo. The headline reads, New York's proposed medical marijuana regs would reduce pharmacist access at dispensaries. As adult-use cannabis laws develop in New York, medical cannabis laws are also going through some growing pains. Proposed changes to the state's medical cannabis program would allow medical dispensaries to operate under the remote supervision of a pharmacist. Currently, pharmacists are required to provide in-person supervision at all the state's 40 medical cannabis dispensaries. Mr. Brown argues that this proposed change puts profits before patients. He believes that patients will have to wait longer to speak to a remote pharmacist. He also believes that the change is a slippery slope. Pennsylvania passed similar legislation. In Pennsylvania, one remote pharmacist can now supervise up to four dispensaries. Patients with complex medical conditions use cannabis. Those who use medications with a narrow therapeutic index should discuss their use with a medical professional. For example, warfarin is an anticoagulant or a blood thinner. Cannabis may interfere with the metabolism of warfarin and cause excessive bleeding. In this case, consulting with the pharmacist would be useful. So Connecticut was the first state to require pharmacists at medical cannabis dispensaries. Arkansas, New York, Minnesota, and Pennsylvania followed suit. There are thir- currently 37 states, four territories in the District of Columbia, that allow medical cannabis use. So that's less than 10% requiring pharmacists at dispensaries. Medical cannabis products are promoted in dispensaries for health purposes, without an adequate discussion about health risks, writes Mr. Brown. Cannabis companies are for-profit businesses that operate on a volume-based business model. Therefore, their staff are incentivized, usually through sales bonuses, to tell patients anything that will get them to buy more product. Mr. Brown goes on to argue that pharmacists are among the most trusted healthcare professionals. Pharmacists put patients first. And pharmacist and dispensaries might help reduce cannabis-related emergency department visits. My role is translational in nature. He writes, I put the latest research about medical cannabis into practice by educating my patients or their healthcare providers about what the research is telling us works and doesn't work. So I'm in California. I've seen a. Ph- I've never seen a pharmacist working at a medical cannabis dispensary. I'm shocked that there are 40 licensed pharmacists working in cannabis dispensaries in New York. I think it's a great idea. Every medical cannabis dispensary should have a pharmacist on staff, although I don't think it matters whether that pharmacist is in-house or works remotely. Also, there's the issue of greedy government taxing medical cannabis. Maybe the tax revenue should go toward funding pharmacists. For those of you who are old enough to remember, this all started 26 years ago with a Compassionate Use Act for medical cannabis patients. Now legislation repeatedly seems to ignore patients. What do you think? Should all medical cannabis dispensaries be required to have an in-house pharmacist? This is Dr. Talleyrand
3: uh, writing for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Would you think, uh, Dr. Talleyrand, I do think that pharmacists should be replacing bud tenders? Uh, well,
8: you know, bud tenders know the plant. Pharmacists know the chemistry and the pharmacology. So I think we can work together. It doesn't have to be replacing, you know, one pharmacist and several bud tenders could work well together. But I do think that there needs to be this safeguard against uh, patients using the wrong products and and getting the wrong of of health, you know, getting health risks.
0: I feel like doctors just need to create a service that they they do these things uh, telemedically and the people can call a 800 number or just log into something and speak to a doctor. That, that would make <laughs> a lot more sense than having all these people be at every single store. That's exactly what I do. Thanks.
4: <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
5: Remember when the BOE, the pre, the um, predecessor to the CDTFA, wouldn't take our tax money and then told us we weren't tax, tax exempt? Jason, one of the things they told us was that because we weren't a clinic right we did not have a pharmacist on site we didn't qualify as a clinic therefore we weren't tax exempt that was one of the things that they told us so if we did implement a system where we had pharmacists on site possibly we'd have better tax consequences well yeah they they changed they
0: changed, they, they changed that with prop 64 that was no longer an option anymore um but under the medical days once the state board equalization said we had to pay sales tax back in 2007 that is when they allowed for that if you had Uh, pharmacist on staff then you are tax exempt from having to pay any sales tax right because you
5: i wonder as a clinic not because of prop 64 though i wonder if the
2: pharmacist can be virtual but
0: prop 64 prop 64 didn't include that type of variance um in in prop 64 so now if you have a pharmacist you're not eligible for that tax credit
2: okay we, we we're at time
0: coming up next to the stage she's an original breeder with a golden bong from california to michigan and now back to cali from the D to the O.C., she brought it back, back to Cali Cali, y'all. CEO of the original Breeders League and mother of two with the ability oh, wow. to spawn more due to her breeding abilities. It's Priscilla Agoncillo. What do you have for us this morning, <laughs> <of> Priscilla? Jesus, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs>
7: <laughs> oh, God. Thanks, Jason. All right. So, today's story is cannabis flour useful to decrease fatigue. A study entitled The Effects of Consuming Cannabis Flour for Treatment of Fatigue was published in the Medical Cannabis and Cannabinoids uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, paper in um, or magazine in April, the authors conducted the interview through the economics of psychology departments at the University of New Mexico, as well as More Better, which is the creator of an app called Relief that was used to uh, track consumption in the study. So the study analyzed thousand two hundred twenty-four people who conducted three thousand nine hundred twenty-two cannabis flower consumption sessions. Through June 6th and uh, into uh, June 6th through August 7th. Participants recorded their levels of fatigue prior to consumption as well as afterward and also included notes about the specific. Cannabis cultivar and properties they consumed. 91.94% of participants felt that their fatigue decreased overall after consuming cannabis. Now, specific strains uh, or cultivars labeled as indica, sativa, or hybrid did not provide a positive or negative effect in combating fatigue. However, the interesting thing is participants who smoked joints felt fatigue relief way more than those who chose to consume through Piper vaporizers. Uh, less than 24% of consumers felt negative side effects uh, described as lack of motivation or couch lock, while approximately 37% felt more positive effects such as feeling active, energetic, risky, or productive. Really, that's, you know, uh, positive or negative is what you're using your cannabis for. So anyway, findings suggest that the majority of patients experience decreased fatigue from consumption of cannabis flower consumed in vivo, although the magnitude of the effect and extent of side effects experienced likely vary with individuals' metabolic states and the synergistic uh, chemotype properties of the plant. So we all know uh, cannabis is very personal and depends on how your body metabolizes it. So, uh, despite the conventional beliefs that frequent cannabis use may result in decreased behavioral activity, goal pursuit, and competitiveness, um, or what academics have called a motivational syndrome, people tend to actually experience an immediate boost in their energy levels immediately after consuming cannabis through smoking it. The most surprising outcomes of the study is that cannabis in general yielded improvements in symptoms of fatigue rather than just a subset of products, such as those with higher THC or CBD levels or products characterized as sativa rather than indica. So um, if you're feeling like you're missing some pep in your step, don't reach for your vape to huff and puff. Roll up that fatty and spark up the smoke. This is Priscilla reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour.
3: I'm so fucking energized right now, Priscilla. Thank you.
7: Let's get energized.
2: I love this story. Spark it up, you guys. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I love that part about uh, without regard to characterizations such as sativa or indica. Yes, we've been saying it. Nobody else has a comment on this fantastic story?
8: I actually think uh, THC is stimulating, and it's not until the come down that people get that sleepy or uh, uh, side effect. So, um, yeah, this sort of confirms it. Uh, although I'm not sure why the vape pen versus the joint difference.
2: Well, I'm, I, I've known I mean, that personally forever.
0: Doesn't this study just prove that that smoking weed doesn't make you lazy? I mean, that's all yes. it, it proves, right?
2: Yes, it's great. It's it's a good article to get rid of the stigma. I love this. They, they didn't cover uh, edibles at all, but I have to say I had uh, some mango fruit slabs. I had one the other day, the other night, instead of my nightly wine, and I cleaned half
7: my house. I couldn't go to sleep. It was great. Susan, you can come over anytime. I got edibles for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: We weren't allowed to put that on the package, but great for cleaning your house.
7: Well, I, I am here
2: to endorse that idea. Shall we? Oh, relight? sorry. Yeah, let's relight this room.
1: You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State Campus News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Campus, or its members.
3: The statements made in the State of Campus News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Campus and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of exceptions in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Campus News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Campus, or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Campus or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised.
2: Let's keep smoking the news.
3: She's a Washington strategist by day, Baker by night. And if she had her own yoga studio, it'd probably be called Stretching with Gretchen. The conservative founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own Washington Insider is up next, Gretchen Mayflower Gailey. What you got for us today? Uh,
9: Good afternoon, Rico. Uh, My headline today is coming from Marijuana Moment. Um, And I saw this and it just seemed like an odd, interesting piece. Uh, The headline is Drafts, Godis, Abortion Ruling argues that letting Roe stand could lead to drug legalization. Uh, A controversial draft opinion from the U.S. Supreme Court concerning abortion rights seems to argue in a little-noticed passage that the constitutional justification for Roe versus Wade is so broad that it could theoretically be interpreted in a way that invalidates drug criminalization. Uh, While the draft majority opinion that was leaked this week has not been formally submitted and could be subject to changes before it's finalized, Associate Justice Samuel Alito's argument in favor of overturning the half-century-old precedent on abortion rights also briefly touched on drug policy. Uh, Alito said, these attempts to justify abortion through appeals to a broader right to autonomy and to define one's concept of existent prove too much. Those criteria at a high level of generality could license fundamental rights to illicit drug use, prostitution and the like. None of these rights have any claim to being deeply rooted in history," uh, Alita also wrote. Uh, "When What the justice seems to be saying is that if Roe versus Wade were to stand, it could invite further legal challenges over issues where government policy is seen as interfering with the autonomy of individuals, potentially rendering it unconstitutional to prohibit people from using illicit drugs, uh, for example. Alex Crete, a legal expert who specializes in drug policy and teaches at Northern Kentucky University, uh, told Marijuana Moment that the argument isn't without precedent, though it hasn't seen much success in the courts to date. He said people have made that argument, uh, that there is a fundamental right right to use drugs, Uh, but he doesn't believe that any have had any promise outside of the context of medical uses. Uh, There have been instances where courts have been faced with challenges concerning the right of a patient to use currently prohibited substances, like marijuana, um, which, by the way, those cases have not been successful. Uh, But what's unique about the Alito interpretation is that he's making it a more nuanced point that the concept of autonomy under the Constitution. Uh, Douglas Berman, who's a law professor at Ohio State, he said that he long thought there could be potent arguments for constitutionality-protected right to use a drug for health need if there are no externalities. Uh, Such arguments have never gotten any traction in the courts, but I agree with the notion that taking privacy and autonomy rights serious could get you there. Uh, The article goes on to talk about more uh, cases. And for our listeners out there, this is just an opinion that was produced. It's in no way um, a final opinion or that who even knows if this will ever uh, come to the light right now. Uh, I think this could be an interesting ruling um, and could have a major effect on cannabis if someone could take it there. I don't know if it'll go that far. Um, I think cannabis is going to have uh, some other issues to deal with uh, long before the court gets to rule on it. Uh, this is Gretchen for State of Cannabis News Hour.
3: Thank you so much for covering this story, Gretchen. This is a this whole abortion thing that's going down is is. Is crazy to say the least, and, and the fact that it might be paving the way for legalized cannabis like adds a whole new wrinkle on it. Interested to see how the, the conservatives respond to this nationwide as well.
5: I think we're going to see less of this coming to like the Supreme Court in a cannabis case, and more in maybe a right to try case for psilocybin or other psychedelics.
0: See, Rico, you're interested in seeing what the conservatives are going to say. I'm interested to see what the liberals are going to react on
3: this. I'm interested to see when the fighting's going to start. <laughs> this shit's well,
9: wild. I, don't, I don't think the libs are going to weigh in on, frankly, the illicit drug use or prostitution. I think they're going to keep their arguments pretty much focused on abortion rights. Yeah. Um, well, here, you know, the thing is,
10: what's going on with the Supreme Court is about privacy and the rights to privacy. Yeah. Just like uh, same-sex marriage is not delineated in the Constitution, but we recognize the privacy of that, right? So the same thing with a woman's right to choose, and the same thing with with drugs or you know adult use cannabis. So yeah, we're for we're for privacy and the and the rights of people to make these choices for themselves. And you know the Republican Party is always ready to do the wrong thing, but they're doing it at the right time. So. Let's have that fight. I'm so glad this is out in the open. I salute the person that released that. That was a really important move because these guys are trying to dump it right before the summer break so that nobody could comment. So let's do this. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Well,
9: I would be concerned, Eric, that – and I'm fully you know, – I'm conservative, but I definitely believe in a woman's right to choose. But I do worry that a conservative court, which has said this before, privacy is not a constitutional right so they could throw this all out and we're screwed left and right
10: it's funny how like in mexico they've already figured this out their their legalization is based on the, uh, you know a human being's right to make that choice so you got to ask yourself why wouldn't it be privacy you know what i'm saying so yeah. well, maybe there's something and, wrong with hold us and hold, I hold on i thought I, that
9: i have a question for our attorneys in the room i mean one thing that they do refer to a lot is that a lot of the cases that have been brought are on the medical side um, and that recreational would, could be out would, you know, would you be up for the court ruling in favor of medical cannabis and not adult use?
3: Freedom isn't uh, free.
2: Yeah. You know, another thing, another thing that I think that this is going to spotlight is people having to go across state lines for their health issues, uh, whether it's abortion or medical cannabis, um, maybe we'll take a, a, a better look at that because of this.
3: Lots of lots of spice coming to the coming to the stage in Washington.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Lots of lots of spice. Well, coming up next, she's an attorney of law focused on bridging the gap between cannabis, entertainment, and psychedelics. Coming next to the stage is the founder of the Cannabis Blog and Podcast, Shall We Toke. It's Shalina Panu.
6: Thanks so much, Jason. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina, and my headline for today is Cannabis Wellness Resorts Are Coming to Australia – According to Weedmaps, cannabis is illegal recreationally in most provinces. However, the Australian Capital Territory, also known as the ACT, has legalized recreational cannabis back in September 2019. The ACT is a landlocked federal territory of Australia on the southwestern Australian mainland, which also contains a national capital, Canberra, all completely within the state of New South Wales. Important to note that all of these significant institutions of the Australian government are headquartered in this territory. In 2016, the Narcotics Drug Amendment was passed by Australia's Parliament, which legalized medical cannabis. You don't have to have a qualifying condition, however, the Department of Health is reviewing existing studies of cannabis to allow those access dealing with chemotherapy, multiple sclerosis, and other health conditions. Australia's leading cannabis franchise group called Relief Group is a clinic and dispensary group that, according to their website, was formed to simplify the consultation process and access to medicine for patients in need offering a fully integrated healthcare service incorporating integrative medical uh, medicine clinics, pharmacies, and retail. According to BusinessWire, Relief is quickly trying to expand in the cannabis market by providing their current services nationwide within the next year. In March, they just announced a new partnership with Cookies with their agreement allowing Cookies cultivators to be available by prescription in Relief dispensaries throughout Australia. Relief is also in the process of opening and operating Cookies Lifestyle flagship stores in Australia. So it should come to no surprise that Relief is now expanding even further by capitalizing on a particular market within the luxury wellness resort area. As reported by Hemp Gazette, the Zoll Wellness Resort, which will be located in New South Wales with waterfront views, will allow medical cannabis patients access to doctors, medical specialists, nutritionists, and more, which will mainly focus on sleep, pain, anxiety, and overall general wellness. They will have an on-site restaurant and will be open for day sessions or options for longer stays. Gary McKenzie, founder and CEO of Relief Group, wants to quickly expand Zol Wellness into a tourism franchise product, branching into territories such as Thailand, Fiji, and New Zealand, according to Cannabis.com. Gary states, The partnership also provides RGL with bricks-and-mortar assets that strengthen the company's balance sheet as we progress towards a a planned IPO listing. Articles of on- online has stated that relief group will have a fifty one percent interest in the retreat. However, none mention who the other party is. What are your thoughts on this cannabis resort in Australia? My name is Shalina, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour.
0: I mean, do they even have any good weed in Australia?
3: I've heard it's pretty fucking good. I haven't had any of it, but I- I've heard it's pretty fucking good. Though, what do they, they have? Koala Kush, <laughs> Down Under Thunder. <laughs>
2: When when I was learning to grow many 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 years ago, I went on rollitup.com to learn how to grow and a lot of the ma- the growers I know, you hate that term master grower, but a lot of the very experienced growers were from Australia.
3: Is rollitup.com still uh still even working? I haven't looked Just
2: at it long. for over a decade, so who knows.
0: What about Tasmanian haze?
2: That sounds like house cleaning weed.
0: I thought you were going to chime in on that, Priscilla.
3: Outback Bushweed.
2: <laughs> for all the These food, are amazing. For all the <laughs> oh, my God. Let's keep smoking the news. Got a lot of stories.
0: All right. Coming up next to the stage, it's a pot loving PhD and champion of common sense cannabis policy. A real life alternative activist remaining optimistic in the midst of cannabis chaos. Coming next to the stage, it's Menika Mahajan. What do you have this morning for us, Menika?
11: Hi, um, good morning. Today, I'm bringing you a headline from Lisa Music of Redheaded Black Belt, a local Emerald Triangle publication. The headline reads, as the Hemp Connection closes, its Cannabis Trail Cultural Landmark plaque is rehomed. Marie Mills opened the first hemp retail clothing store since Prohibition, the Hemp Connection in Redway, California in 1990. In 1998, her daughter Teresa opened the Hemp Connection two miles away in Garberville. They also put up a large business sign, which prominently features a pot leaf. Though medical cannabis had been legalized two years prior, the iconic pot leaf sign was controversial and to this day is one of the most photographed symbols in Garberville. On June 19, 2021, Marie and Teresa Mills became the first ever recipients of a cultural landmark plaque to honor their pioneering work. I was at that ceremony and the outdoor patio was full of people who had come to commemorate the occasion. The cultural landmark designation is part of the Cannabis Trail, founded by Brian Applegarth. The Cannabis Trail goes from Santa Cruz to Oakland and San Francisco, across the Golden Gate Bridge, winding through the North Bay counties into Mendocino, up through Humboldt, and ends at Weaverville in Trinity County. It currently has 10 cultural landmarks and one monument along the trail, with at least 10 more landmark and three to five monument placements planned in the next year to complete the trail. Applegarth envisioned, quote, when you look at the Cannabis Trail landmarks and monuments together, it's everything from sustainability, self-reliance and bravery, community to the war on drugs, impacts on communities, a quilt of the values of the cannabis movement and all the different communities, end quote. The mills decided to close the hemp connection due to a recent rent increase. And the plaque was relocated about a block away to the Southern Humboldt Chamber of Commerce and Visitor Center. At the unveiling ceremony on Friday, Applegarth said, quote, Marie's life represents the story of self-reliance, bravery, vision, and earth stewardship. May this cultural landmark serve to educate others about hemp sustainability, self-reliance, and the bravery needed to bring about positive change, end quote. To visit the plaque, stop by the Southern Humboldt Chamber of Commerce and Visitor Center in Garberville at 782 Redwood Drive. If you have not visited the Emerald Triangle, I highly recommend it. It's a magical place. The mills are doing are closing their brick-and-mortar storefront, but they will keep their mission going in a new form. They're adapting. They will participate in craft fairs and farm farmers markets moving forward. You can find them next at the Westside Live Market in White, Whitethorn on <clears throat> excuse me, May 28th. So I wanted to bring you this story because while much of the flashy headlines focus on up-and-coming markets and mergers, celebrity launches and drug busts, all the money to be made and lost – Meanwhile, there are these stories of loss, resilience, courage, and adaptation that are taking place in the pioneering communities that fought and still fight the war on drugs and that paved the way for the access to legal cannabis that we enjoy today. I'm Menika Mahajan with the State of Cannabis News Hour. Thank you for having me on.
10: Thank you for bringing that up, Manica. I'm actually working on an article right now about the trail. It's super important, and what Brian has done with that is is really exceptional.
2: Yes, Brian is amazing. He was in the. In, I was trying to find him. He was in the room earlier. But yes, um, let's keep smoking the news.
3: This fifth generation Californio is an award winning journalist, brand building content ninja, and a freedom fighting farmer's friend. Always prepared to hit us with the truth. Lamestream media won't making sure tomorrow's history is not only told from the winner's point of
10: view. Come to the stage, Eric Hiss, Lareda. Happy hey, Cinco de Mayo, thank you. brother. Thank you very you much. Um, great to be here today. Um, happy Cinco de Mayo. Um, my headline is from the New York Times, and it's, Colorado River Reservoirs are so low, government will delay releases. I think sometimes we can all understandably go down the weed rabbit hole Looking at some recall in Michigan, a bus in Oklahoma, or some cat fight in D.C. But I think it's important we always zoom out and look at big outside issues that not only impact cannabis, but all of agriculture, the entire West, and by extension, the globe. The article is about severe drought in the West, worsened by climate change and what we are doing, and more importantly, not doing about it. Jumping in the article here... With long term severe drought continuing to take a toll on the Colorado River, the federal government announced on Tuesday that it will retain some water in one of the river's major reservoirs, describing it as an extraordinary action to temporarily stave off increased uncertainty in water and electricity supplies in the West. The decision to keep more water in Lake Powell on the Arizona Utah border rather than releasing it downstream to the other major reservoir, Lake Mead, near Las Vegas comes as both are at record low levels after 20 years of drought made worse by climate change. Powell, behind Glen Canyon Dam, currently holds less than one-fourth of the amount it held when it was filled after the dam was built in the 1960s. We have never taken this step before in the Colorado River Basin, said Tanya Trujillo, an Interior Department Assistant Secretary. But the conditions we see today and the potential risks we see on the horizon demand that we take prompt action. Together with the release of more water into Lake Power from an upstream dam, the decision will keep the lake at a level at which it can continue generating hydropower for the next 12 months. Beyond that, Ms. Trujillo said, the situation will be re-evaluated. Loss of hydropower production could create a number of problems for the water and electricity supply and for the dam itself. Ms. Trujillo acknowledged that the actions were a short-term fix and that work was needed on solutions to make the river, which supplies water to 40 million people, sustainable over the long term. Conservation groups and water policy experts agreed. Bart Miller, a program director with the Western Resources Advocates and Environmental Advocacy Group, said his organization supported the uh, Bureau's decision. But it's not enough to fix the problem, he said. Throughout the Colorado River Basin, we are using more water than the river provides. Mr. Miller said the infrastructure bill that was approved by Congress last year should help. It earmarks $300 million for drought contingency planning in the Colorado Basin, Thank you, President Biden, every Democratic senator, virtually entire Democratic House caucus, and the handful of Republicans who recognize climate change as an immediate threat. Lake Mead is currently at 31% of capacity, and because it gets almost all of its water from releases from Powell, the decision to hold back water at Glen Canyon Dam will cause it to fall even lower. The status of Lake Mead led led the Bureau of Reclamation, the interior agency responsible for the supply of water and electricity from the Colorado to declare a first ever water shortage there last August. That triggered cuts in the supply from the lake, mostly to Arizona. The Bureau is evaluating the situation and could decide this summer that Lake Mead has declined to a point where even more cuts are necessary. The reservoirs are the two largest in the United States and have been declining for years amid a mega drought that began in 2000 and that has continued and been made worse by global warming. This period is now the driest two decades in 1200 years. So I hear some people say it's all about the money. It ain't, it's all about the water and natural resources we preserve and protect because if we don't do a better job, the drought, wildfires and floods, we are increasingly have to deal with in our industry and far beyond will put us all out of business. And that's what I got today. I'm Eric for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Gracias for having me up.
11: Eric, I just wanna say I love your stories that you bring to the stage. Thank you.
2: Agreed, it's super important. Um,
10: It's just sometimes we... Oh, sorry, Susan.
2: No, go ahead. It's bad.
10: No, I was just saying that, you know, I know it's how we get really into our own little worlds. Like, you know, we all have our little pet areas of the industry, but sometimes we just really have to zoom out and see these big, Massive things that are happening around us that really impact us. I mean, power and water. I mean, we need to
2: get rid of lawns. Shit. Why do we need lawns? Why does everybody have a lawn? It's dumb. Lawns of are of amazing and
0: everything.
2: They're
10: stupid. Nevada, Nevada, Southern Nevada just declared lawns. They're out. <laughs> they're going. They're if you're in stupid. Southern Nevada, say say goodbye to your lawn. Good. Uh,
3: Eric, Eric, thank you so much for bringing this uh, story up, and I agree. Um, I don't think, but I, um, I, I don't think sometimes we should look at the big picture. I think more often than not, we should look at the big picture. There's only so much that you can control um, on a macro level, top down. Um, but taking a step back and understanding the big picture will will really affect uh, uh, your, the choices that we make on the micro level as well. Thank you for bringing this up.
2: Let's keep smoking the news.
0: Jason. All right. Yeah, that's right. Coming up next to the stage. He's a blunt blowing Fresno based man of the people representing the black conservative voice whose existence Joe Biden would love to strip from your hood pass for even acknowledging. Here's the change the narrative. It's the governor himself and future Fresno City Council member Nicholas Wildstar.
4: Yeah. Yay. Thank you, Jason. What it do state of cannabis crew for all of you out there enjoying your Cinco de Mayo in Nevada. You may want to think twice before you sip in little something while you puff puff pass cannabis officials in Nevada have drafted regulations to address public safety concerns surrounding future lounges and prevent customers from getting high, then getting behind the wheel. No alcohol will be allowed in any lounges in Nevada. According to Tyler Klimas, executive director of the Cannabis Compliance Board, at least to start, there's not going to be alcohol allowed. Poly substance use is a very real issue and big issue that we've learned a lot about. Working with our parents in law enforcement, Klimas said, how do we put ourselves in the best position to protect public safety? Um, in draft regulations set for approval in late June, the board outlines measures such as a state mandated worker training and classes to spot intoxication and over intoxication, whatever that is. All workers must register as agents of the state. Climate said I repeat again, all workers must register as agents of the state. A lot of the protections are going to come on the front end from training and training requirements. Workers need to be trained on how to identify overconsumption, whatever that is, and how to identify somebody that maybe is coming in already intoxicated climate said. Lounges will be encouraged to partner with rideshares and create no tow policy so customers can leave their vehicles overnight if necessary. Potential signage inside lounges would remind customers of the law and effects of consumption. It is against the law to drive while impaired by cannabis, or the intoxicating effects may be delayed by two hours or more, Climus said educating for customers will be crucial. We expect as people come to visit Las Vegas, There's going to be some people who have never consumed cannabis before. So how do we make sure that they are uh, talking to somebody at the lounge or educating them about cannabis, making sure they're not leading them down the path of overconsumption? Again, whatever that is, climate said. Uh, Cannabis compliance board officials would monitor enforcement of the rules by establishments. Fines for noncompliance could range from, peep this, you guys, $5,000 to a $1,000,000. <laughs> Reporting with the State of Cannabis News Hour. This is Nick Wildstar, a.k.a. Linda. Speak now or forever. Hold your peace.
0: Nick, does it say what the violation is that's going to cost a million dollars?
4: That's what I want to say. Overconsumption, again, whatever the
0: hell that is.
5: Uh-huh. the FDA doesn't is- even have more than so ahead, half Mark. that. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say the FDA can only fine you half that if you kill somebody.
0: That is like totally ridiculous, but totally up Vegas. I mean, Vegas, the shops out there have the money to pay for
11: it at least.
2: Uh, Nicole, we are running short on time, but I wanted to get your comment in.
11: Thank you. Thank you, Susan. Two things. Um, one, I don't like mixing alcohol with cannabis because they're going to try to blame it on one or the other if somebody mm-hmm. has an accident. Um, so I think it's good that they keep it. They kept it separate. Uh, but what is interesting and what we have to pay attention to is why do Planet 13 is going to be able to operate under one roof, selling alcohol down the door, down a couple doors from where they're going to be having a consumption lounge? Uh, so, obviously, there are some loopholes or people that are getting away with being able to sell alcohol a few feet away from cannabis consumption. Um, and the third thing I wanted to say is if you have a, a CBD brand, um, now is the time to start making relationships with uh, these dispensaries and consumption lounges uh, because CBD is going to be a part of uh, how we regulate overconsumption, so to speak. Um, and so they're going to be necessary inside of consumption lounges. Thank you.
0: Crossfade for the win. Crossbait yeah. for the win. Y'all are tripping. You will be tripping.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let's keep smoking the news. Let's get the beards in. He's the
3: CEO of Fruit Slabs and a cannabis and IP law attorney whose beard needs no FAA approval to bring us home today with a smooth ass single to Mayo landing. What you got for us, Captain Brandon Dorsky, Esquire?
1: My headline comes from SFist. It's Carnival SF might have legal cannabis sales at its 2022 street fair later this month. SFist reports that permit applications have been submitted to allow for legal cannabis sales at Carnival SF on May 28th and 29th, and if granted, would be the first California street fair with legal regulated cannabis usage. Since adult use became reality, San Francisco has surprisingly hosted only three outdoor events with legal cannabis sales. Outside Lands 2019 and Outside Lands 2021, and the Hippie Hill celebration on 420 just a few weeks ago, all of which took place at Golden Gate Park. One booth for the planned carnival has submitted a cannabis event permit request that would allow for the sale of flowers in a designated gated area. The dedicated area would be called Jardin de Yerba Buena and would be accessible by those 21 and up. Carnival SF began promoting that there would be a permitted cannabis garden despite the necessary permits having not yet been granted by state or local authorities, so don't hold your breath. The permits are currently being reviewed by the San Francisco Office of Cannabis and the California Department of Cannabis Control. The DCC did not respond to requests for comment. For Outside Lands 2019, the permit necessary for the consumption was granted less than 36 hours before the start of the event, so organizers may be waiting until the 11th hour to see if they can legally fire it up. At carnival sf i am hopeful that they will actually approve this usage and we will see a california street fair allowing for cannabis before the month is over anybody in the bay area i hope you can attend and enjoy the festivities this is brandon dorsky reporting for the state of cannabis news
2: how nerve-wracking is that to be waiting for the last minute to oh my god that's nuts
10: Hey, Brandon, isn't that uh, kind of a done deal with a b twenty twenty? I mean, can't isn't that where they get civic city approval and a b twenty twenty? can't they just you know jam on that?
1: The article didn't really touch on any of the uh, how a b twenty twenty would impact them. It just said that they've gone through the process. the applicant or the permit requests are sitting there, and that uh, the city and the DCC have a long history. Of really just waiting until the final days is before issuing their approval or denial, uh, so we're just crossing our fingers and hoping for an approval here. Seems like there's no reason to deny it. Well, hard the hard city hard came out. Did, did Anybody uh, attend the Hippie Hill?
2: Uh, let's uh, like, Laura, let's whatever. give Lara the last word. No, I was just
5: going to say the city came out years ago and said, "We're well, hey, we're only going to authorize these five events uh, unless and until you know we we make uh, a determination that these events are co Terminus with our goals uh, as a city and county. So they don't have an inclination to approve one offs like this. This is not one of the five events that they expressly said they're going to permit. I would be surprised if they didn't, to be honest, because I think that they're moving toward expanding that list of events. But it's not something that the city had planned on doing at all.
2: Well, I've got this to say about that, Um, and we've reached the top of the hour. That was a really great show. Oh my gosh, if you missed any of it, make sure you catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave us a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day just to bring us... Just what we need to know. A big thank you to Rico and Jason for co-producing the show and to our pinup girl, Jaja Simone Brown. Thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. You take us deeper into the story. You add color. And sometimes you provide amazing sound bites. Let's do another.
3: You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note, and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Happy Cinco de Mayo!
2: Say goodbye, Rico.
3: <laughs> Bye.